And uh, good morning all, my name is Tao Chen. It is a privilege for me to speak today on how can our church be a safer place for those who experience same-sex attraction. This is increasingly a hot topic of the day, not just for our youth and young adults, but also for our nation. First, let me add to Pastor Isaac's introduction of me with some pictures. I am an assistant pastor at 316 Church here in Singapore, serving in a young adults ministry. I am also a Bible school instructor, both at Tongling, Singapore, as well as at Rayma, where I teach in Singapore, Malaysia, and India. I also serve in several ministries, including True Love Is under 316 Church, which raises awareness in the LGBT space. And I serve at Choices under Church of Our Saviour, which ministers to those who experience same-sex attraction. Prior to serving in ministry, I worked in the marketplace for 25 years, mostly as a banker. I serve in ministry now, but that is a far cry from my lifestyle just seven years ago when I was still addicted to gay sex and gay porn. You see, from as early as when I was seven years old, I knew that I was attracted to the same sex. I was not given a questionnaire at any point in time to choose whether I wanted to be attracted to the same sex or to the opposite sex. I just knew that I was attracted to the same sex. I say this because I've met some Christians who assume that same-sex attraction is something that some of us choose to feel, and therefore this is something that we could stop feeling if only we would choose to. This is not true. In fact, extensive research in the past informs us that most people experience little or no sense of choice about their sexual orientation. So the answer is not, therefore, to just turn straight by dating girls, getting married and having kids, as if this is a light switch that we could choose to turn on or off. So please do not be mistaken on this. Personally, I had a wonderful childhood. I was not a victim of negligent parenting or childhood trauma or of inappropriate childhood sexual advances although many others who experienced same-sex attraction were such victims. However, as far as I'm aware, there is no conclusive scientific proof that parenting deficiencies or adverse childhood experiences definitively cause same-sex attraction. I'm saying this because it is important to relieve parents of those who experience same-sex attraction from such guilt and condemnation. And it is equally important for such children not to hold this against their parents. There is also no scientific proof that same-sex attraction is genetically coded. So this is not a question of nature either. For me, this attraction to the same sex did not stop even after I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was a teenager. And here I've been asked the question before, is same-sex attraction a spiritual oppression, a spiritual possession, or the result of demonic spirits at work? Well, as far as I'm aware, in the vast majority of cases, the answer is no. And there's no empirical nor scriptural evidence that spiritual deliverance is therefore the answer to same-sex attraction either. So please do not be mistaken on this too. So if same-sex attraction is not a choice, and not because of nature or nurture, nor largely the result of demonic spirits at work, then how do we explain same-sex attraction? Did God create some of us this way? The answer is absolutely not. 
For James chapter 1 says, do not be deceived, for every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, this means God did not give some of us good gifts and then corrupt others of us with same-sex attraction in some twisted double-mindedness. No. Same-sex attraction is simply a product of the corruption of the fall of mankind, a corruption that afflicts all mankind. We are all broken from the corruption of the fall of mankind just in different ways. Some of us happen to be broken in experiencing same-sex attraction. Others are broken in other ways. For example, some are afflicted by the desire for adultery, others by the desire for porn, yet others by the weakness for wrath, and some by the desire for drunkenness. Now, I've been scanning the faces of all of you here, and clearly none of you understand what I've just talked about. So these scriptures must be talking about other churches in Singapore, not Queenstown Baptist Church. No, God did not create me this way. The corruption of the fallen of mankind afflicted me this way. We do not get to choose which brokenness we experience, but we do get to choose how we deal with the brokenness that we experience. Now, sadly for me, in my early 20s, I chose to explore the gay circle partly out of sexual desire, but also partly out of loneliness and a desire to connect. And when I did, I was so relieved to find that the gay circle was generally a community where I felt safe for the first time, in a sense that I was not judged, I was not condemned, I was not ostracized, but where I felt I was understood, accepted, and belonged. And this was in stark contrast to the church or Christians then, where I did not think I would even be welcome, let alone understood or accepted. Now this we need to do better as a church, and I'll explain how later. Sadly for me, this relief of welcome and acceptance in a gay circle quickly spiraled into a carnal sinkhole that I became addicted to. For as I started clubbing and partying away in that circle, I also started to hook up with guys on one-night stands. And before long, I was addicted to gay sex, many times having sex with multiple guys, even on the same day. Now, this is not the case of every person who experiences same-sex attraction, but I was so addicted that I ended up having sex with hundreds of guys, maybe many, many more than that. I just wasn't counting. However, after every encounter, I would feel empty, unfulfilled, unsatisfied. Yes, there was great pleasure in each encounter, but it was temporary. Then the emptiness would return, and there was a void inside me that did not get filled. Instead, the more sex I had, the bigger this void grew. Then one day in 2014, a friend of mine told me that he was going to church that Sunday. I said to my friend that I was too dirty to go to church with him, but what he said next shocked me. He told me that, no, on the contrary, I am righteous before God because I had received Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was a teenager. While it was so strange to hear him say this, that I followed him to this church out of sheer curiosity to find out whether this was truly so or not. Now, I know this picture looks rather similar to the previous one. <laughs> but whilst the previous experience fed my flesh, 
The word of God that was preached at this church for the first time fed the void that was inside me in my spirit, just like Psalms 42 says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul, O God, for you. So I kept returning to church again and again, hooked to the Word of God. But at the same time, I was also still rushing to the gay sauna right after service every Sunday, hooked to gay sex for the rest of the day. It was so strange, and I did not know what to make of this. Until one Sunday, a year later, the pastor preached on the parable of the prodigal son where the prodigal son squandered his fortune on prodigal living in, with prostitutes and then in desperation returned home. As he made his way home, the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, when the son was still a long way off, the father ran to the son, not the other way around. The father fell on the son's neck, kissed him and put the best robe on the son. And then the pastor pointed this out, which blew me away. When the son was still filthy like this, having just returned home from feeding swine, when he was penniless and homeless, and not after the son had cleaned himself up first. Now, I've met some homeless people before, and they're not the ones that I would choose to run to, let alone kiss on the neck or put my best robe on. But that is exactly what this father did. It was as if God was saying to me, I know you've been running after the gay sauna right after church every Sunday, and I know that you're about to do the same even today. Nevertheless, come home, son, just as you are. That love of God broke my heart and brought me to tears for years to come every time I recount that encounter. As I started to walk with God again from that moment on, I sought God for answers on the same-sex attraction that I experienced. Why me? Is this of God? What am I supposed to do with this? And I discovered that God indeed had answers for me, even truth that would set me free, and they were all in the Bible. So I started devouring the Word of God for these answers. And as I walked through and worked out these answers for myself on the 6th of June, 2018, after years of intense struggles and countless setbacks, I finally broke free from the grip of same-sex attraction that had kept me under addiction to gay sex for nearly 30 years not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit. Praise God for that. And the good news is this, if God will do that for me, He will do the same for everyone and anyone else who desires it and who seeks Him in faith and with patience, for there is no partiality with God. Now, just to be clear, this does not mean that I no longer experience attraction to the same sex. For overcoming is not the suppression of the desire. It is not necessarily even the absence of the desire, but it is the victory, strength, and the ability to overcome the desire. So now, whilst I still experience attraction to the same sex, the difference is that I'm no, now no longer unable to overcome such desires and temptations unlike before. Praise God for that. Now, this is the same type of victory that even Jesus himself experienced when he was here on earth. For the Bible says, he too was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So just as Jesus was not immune from temptations, but was victorious over them, so too is the victory that we overcomers experience 
even though we may still continue to experience attraction to the same sex. When I speak on this at churches, a common question that is often asked is this, how then could we Christians relate better to those who experience same-sex attraction? Well, we should first be aware that the LGBT community is not one ubiquitous community. There are four very different constituents to this community. Firstly, there are the overcomers on the top right-hand quadrant of this chart, who are, for example, Christians who want to and who have experienced the power of God to overcome their LGBT desires. Then there are the strugglers, the bottom right-hand quadrant of this chart, who are, for example, Christians who are still working and walking out the answers to their struggle. Now, both these quadrants on the right here are minorities. By far, the vast majority of the LGBT community are the moderates, the bottom left-hand quadrant of this chart, those who are in the lifestyle and who want to stay in the lifestyle. Some are Christians and may even be in church, but they also want to remain in this lifestyle. And then there are the activists, the top left-hand quadrant of this chart, also a minority, but who dominate the public square with their loudness and fierceness to such an extent that they're discipling the world and even parts of the church with their ideology today, especially in the absence of the voice of the rest of the church. So four distinct quadrants in the LGBT community. As a result, it would be a mistake to assume that the LGBT community is all the same and that we should respond and relate to the entire community the same way. For example, it is a grave mistake to address the entire LGBT community as if they're all activists, because the vast majority of the community are clearly not activists. It is equally grave a mistake to assume that the entire LGBT community struggles with same-sex attraction and want our help on this, as this is highly offensive to the moderates who comprise the vast majority of the community and to the activists. They think we are the ones who need help, not them. I know because I've lived as a moderate for over 30 years and then as a struggler for two and a half years and now as an overcomer. So I speak from lived personal experience on this. So how then should we relate to the LGBT community? Well, we need to match our response to the constituent that we are addressing. For example, with overcomers, we should celebrate their testimony and exhort them to serve. With strugglers, we should welcome them and journey with them. With moderates, especially those who are in church and who want to stay in church, we should accept them into our community and take time to understand them. With activists, we should understand them, but to stand with God on points of difference. But what does it mean in practice to welcome, to accept, and to understand overcomers, strugglers, and even moderates who want to stay in our midst? Well, one answer is cats. Yes, cats, which stands for companionship, answers, testimony, and supplication. Firstly, companionship. This means being a trusted friend to those who choose to come out and come home in our midst. 
And this includes accepting such overcomers, strugglers, and even moderates who choose to stay in our midst because of their heart for God as they are instead of rejecting them. This means taking the time even over the long haul of years to understand them, to build trust and credibility with them, to do life together with them as a community, just as we would with anyone else, without any agenda to manipulate them to change, especially if or when they are not interested. Now, I know the word accept can be very uncomfortable in the LGBT space, so let me clarify. Acceptance does not mean agreeing with, affirming, or celebrating a choice of lifestyle that is contrary to God's design, no. But it does mean not rejecting from our community even those who choose to stay in a gay lifestyle at this time. Now, I do not mean tolerating or propagating in our midst the campaigns of those who are intent on indoctrinating the church on LGBT ideology. I also do not mean tolerating or propagating in our midst the campaigns of those who are intent on normalizing the gay lifestyle in church. No, we should reject such heresy. But I mean, what I mean is not rejecting from our community those who are drawn to the touch of God in our community, but who are also still torn to stay in the gay lifestyle at this time. After all, how would we respond to an idolater who walks through our church doors and who wants to keep coming back to church, but who's also still torn to hang on to their idols at this time? I propose that just as we should accept and not reject the idolater who wants to keep coming back to church to encounter God, we should also accept and not reject those who are still in the gay lifestyle, but who also wants to keep coming back to church to encounter God in our midst. Well, people like me, in that first year when I started returning to church, but when I was also still hooked to gay saunas right after service every Sunday. What then does this acceptance in companionship look like in practice? Perhaps these three handles will help. Firstly, this acceptance in companionship means cultivating a culture of community that does life together, irrespective of whether someone experiences same-sex attraction and irrespective of where they are in their walk with God in this area of their life at this time. A culture of community includes doing church or ministry together, and this is a picture of one of our young adult services at my church, 316. A culture of community includes having fun together as a regular community, even in our own homes, and here we were playing board games together over a Saturday night. A culture of community includes going out together in public for food, birthday celebrations, and so on. And this is a picture of one of our home churches at 316 having a picnic together. Well, you might ask, what's so special about these pictures? After all, you do the same thing in your own church. Well, in every one of these pictures that I've just shown you, some in the picture experience same-sex attraction, and we know that but we don't put a tag on them, we don't spotlight them, and we certainly don't ring-fence them away from the rest of the church. Instead, as you have just seen, we do regular life together with them. In addition, a culture of community is one that goes the distance together with each other 
even if someone not walking with God in some area of their life. Now, don't get me wrong. Our heart is for all to walk with God in every area of their life all the time. But if some are not, instead of keeping them at arm's length, instead of abandoning them or threatening them, let's resolve to do life together with them as a community, valuing them, looking out for them, and being there for them just as we would with any friend. You see, not everyone, even those whose heart is for God, is always victorious in the area of same-sex attraction all the time. A couple of years ago, one Friday night, a young guy whom I was ministering to then called me because he needed to talk to me urgently. He had just picked up a stranger from a gay app and invited the stranger to his home, and they were in his bedroom together taking their clothes off for sex when the other guy suddenly, for no apparent reason, changed his mind, walked out, and never came back. The young guy whom I'd been ministering to was so shaken by how close he got to a sexual encounter with this stranger that he called me to talk about it. Now, I did not rebuke him nor send him down a guilt trip. Instead, I looked to the Holy Spirit on how to respond. And then I said to him, hey, buddy, I do not rejoice that you invited this guy into your room, but I do rejoice that you did not go through with it. I also rejoice that you called me about it immediately. I rejoice because you decided to run back to God and not run away from Him immediately. In fact, all heaven rejoices with you on your response here. For the Bible says, run to the throne of grace for mercy and grace to help in time of need. God wants us to run to Him even if we have messed up. Otherwise, why would we need mercy from the throne of grace? And I told this young guy, and God has a way out for you on this. Well, next Friday night, I messaged to encourage him. And he said, oh, don't worry about him because God had indeed shown him a way out on how to deal with this after that night. And it was as simple as this, don't be alone on Friday night. <laughs> so he had arranged to go out with his friends that Friday night and he would continue to surround himself with his cell group or other friends every Friday night. For there is power in a culture of community the Bible says in Le Leviticus chapter 26, five of you will chase a hundred, but a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. There is great power in a culture of community. Secondly, this acceptance and companionship is not just about talking the talk. It is also about walking the talk in modeling out for strugglers and overcomers that there is truly no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In 2021, a couple of years ago, I was surprised when my senior pastor asked me to serve as an assistant pastor. I was delighted to. But I remember asking my senior pastor whether 316 Church as a whole would accept me as an assistant pastor given my background. And without hesitation, he said, sure, of course. Now, this is walking the talk at one of the highest levels, and I'm not alone. Joseph, who is another overcomer who has testified on True Love is before, is also at 316 Church, and he serves as worship leader for our main service, as well as as a youth leader. 
And there are others beyond this at our church. Elevating strugglers and overcomers who experience same-sex attraction to serve and even to lead in our midst is a powerful living example of walking the talk that it is indeed safe to come out and come home in our church. Now, this does not mean that there is no discipleship or correction in companionship. No, there is a time and a place for correction. But first, let's make sure we discern that time and place accurately by the Spirit. Then Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, convince, rebuke even, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. But such discipleship and correction should be to restore and not to drive away. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So we must be careful to disciple and to correct with those intentions and not otherwise. So in summary, I would encourage us to consider these three handles in understanding what companionship looks like. And we can all walk at this level of companionship. Well, let's see for companionship in the acronym CATS. A is for answers, meaning be equipped with God's answers, including empirical evidence of research and science and scriptural truths to expose the twisted narrative of the world today that is trapping those who experience same-sex attraction and that is discipling our youth and young adults of today so convincingly with trendy hashtags and one-minute TikTok clips. But by answers, I do not mean careless jokes such as God created Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve, haha. Because are we saying by this that God did not create those who happen to experience same-sex attraction and therefore they should dig a hole, bury themselves in the hole and never come out again? Are we saying that? No, of course not. Or are we saying by this that those who experience same-sex attraction they're lying about their feelings or that their feelings are not real. No, clearly we're not saying that either. So these sorts of statements are unhelpful because they leave a lot of questions unanswered. By answers, I also do not mean careless statements such as homosexuality is a sin. Because what do we mean by homosexuality? Do we mean the attraction or do we mean the action? The two are not the same and we should not lump the two together. If we mean experiencing the attraction is also a sin, then are we telling those who experience same-sex attraction that they should stop feeling that way in order to stop sinning? Well, as we saw earlier, experiencing same-sex attraction is not something that some of us choose to feel. Therefore, this attraction is not something that we could choose to turn off either if only we wanted to. No, the Bible is clear. It is the action that is sin and not the attraction. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 18 does not say you shall not feel attraction to the same sex for that is an abomination before God. No, it says you shall not act on the attraction by lying male with a male as with a woman for that is an abomination before God. You see, some of us are afflicted by this attraction, not by our choice, and certainly not by God's choice either. But for those of us who are afflicted this way, the answer to fulfillment and wholeness is not found in the gay lifestyle. God knows that. 
And that is why he says, stay, stay clear, steer far away from the lifestyle. And indeed, in my previous gay lifestyle, I was not fulfilled. And again, I'm speaking for myself and others like me, but not for the entire LGBT community at large, because some in the LGBT community would say that they are happy or happier in their gay lifestyle. But I had a long-time boyfriend, but that did not fulfill me. So I had sex with many other guys, but that did not fulfill me either. So I had different types of sex with many other guys, but again, that did not fulfill me either. I could claim to be a victim of social rejection, and I could blame the alleged pressure, discrimination, and bigotry of society and the church against my experience of same-sex attraction for my despondency. But in truth, even the elimination of all of that would not have restored me to fulfillment and wholeness. So that is why God says, don't look for answers in fulfillment and wholeness there in the lifestyle. Come instead to find redemption to fulfillment and wholeness in His answers. And I and so many others like me have discovered this to be truly so. Hence, by answers, what I mean is to unpack scriptural truths as practical solutions to real-life conflicts and as liberating alternatives to contemporary LGBT ideology. For example, the world, the world today says, love is love. If you love me, you must celebrate me. No, the Bible's answer is this. Depends on what we're celebrating. For 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that defines agape love tells us that love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. So no, Bible agape love does not say we must celebrate you in all things in order to prove to you that we love you. No, companionship under cats does not include celebrating choices that are against the design of God. The Bible shows us what is of God's design that we are to celebrate, but the Bible also shows us what is not of God's design that we're not to celebrate, but instead we're to deal with or address. And God even shows us how to from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end of Revelation in His Word. Another example is this. The world today says, you are what you feel. No, as we examined earlier, the Bible's answer is this. We are all broken from the corruption of the fall of mankind. We do not get to choose which brokenness we experience, and therefore we may not be able to help how we feel, but we can help what we do with how we feel. You see, despite what we feel, we can choose to align ourselves with God's ways for us and experience the fullness of His abundant life as a victor over how we feel, instead of aligning ourselves with how we feel and struggle in confusion and victimhood as a result. For the Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God has made a way of escape from the things that afflict us. Now, even when we are equipped with such answers, I encourage us not to be quick to force our answers on others all the time. You see, I've met Christians who are so eager to fix other people that they rush to help with their answers even before they've taken the time to understand the individual, even before they've taken the time to work and build on trust and credibility with the individual, even before they've ministered friendship 
or done life together with the individual. Well, not every person who experiences same-sex attraction is looking for answers all the time, and not every person wants us to speak into their lives all the time. Some just want to be heard and understood for now. So let's learn to be swift to hear, slow to speak, as James points out here in this passage. And when we listen, let's make the effort to understand in empathy and not listen in judgment. This includes listening to put ourselves in their shoes rather than filtering our listening to fit other people into our own shoes. You see, in any exam, none of us would rush to fill in this answer sheet before we fully understand the actual questions. And none of us would rush to fill in this answer sheet according to what we guess or assume the question to be. But so often, the danger is we do exactly that in addressing the space of same-sex attraction. We rush to bear down on the behavior that we see at the tip of this iceberg with our preset answers before taking the time to understand, for example, the context of the behavior, the bits of the iceberg that are below the waterline in this picture. You see, whilst the attraction is not a choice, the lifestyle is a choice. And we need to take the time to listen to and to understand the many things that could drive or induce someone to the lifestyle or to stay in the lifestyle without jumping blindly to presumptions in error and turn others off from engaging with us on the deeper things of their lives that may be seducing them to the gay lifestyle. Not every context is the same, so we need to take the time to listen and understand. A is for answers, T is for testimony. There is great power in testimony as this passage in Revelations points out, for we overcome even the devil himself by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And thank God today we have so many named testimony after testimony of overcomers that point to the reality and joy of overcoming by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we should not be ashamed to raise awareness of these testimonies. However, here we must also not abuse these testimonies to pressurize moderates who are not interested or strugglers who are still working things out. For the LGBT activists have accused some pastors, leaders, and even parents of turning these testimonies into weapons and attacking those they minister to or their kids with, hey, if they can do it, why can't you? What's your problem? What's wrong with you? No, that's not what these testimonies are for. Neither is that what these testimonies are about. These testimonies are to inspire, not to condemn. They're to encourage, not discourage. They're to lift others to seek God, not to turn them away from God. So let us learn to be careful how we minister these testimonies. Lastly, S is for supplication or prayer. The single most important key for any moderate or struggler is whether they want to let God into this part of their lives or not. If they don't, even God cannot help them. But one way we can help here is to pray for them. Paul shows us a powerful prayer that I would pray privately for strugglers in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that God will give them the gift of repentance 
so that they may know the truth, so that they may come to their senses, and so that they may escape from the snares of the devil. My maid, who is a believer in the center of this photo here, prayed for me privately without me knowing for four and a half years, even when I was bringing different guys home for sex every night. The more she prayed for me, the more guys I brought home. Well, thank God she did not give up. Her persistent and fervent prayers made a way for God to send me my friend that day who told me he was going to church that Sunday and made a way for me to respond to God after that. So I encourage all of us not to dismiss or despise the power of lonesome prayer. So how could the church relate better to those who experience same-sex attraction in our midst? Cats for companionship, answers, testimony, and supplication. But starting first and foremost with companionship. Now I close with this, and the worship team, you're welcome to come up if you, if you want to. When Joshua was finally by the city of Jericho in Joshua chapter 5, with the second generation of the children of Israel, a man stood opposite Joshua with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua asked this man, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Now today, as you navigate the LGBT space, the world and the LGBT activists out there will similarly press you on, are you pro-LGBT or are you against LGBT? Tell me right now. Well, the man in Joshua chapter 5 said this, neither, but I have come as commander of the army of the Lord. Similarly, I encourage all of us to declare neither, for we are neither pro-LGBT ideology, nor are we against LGBT community but we stand where God stands in this space, where with companionship, answers, testimony, and supplication, we stand for God's alternative answers of truth and grace in this space, in agape love for the LGBT community, where we celebrate truth and not iniquity. Last year, I was at a graduation ceremony of a Bible school, and the speaker there said some very wise words. He said, blessed is the preacher who keeps to time, for he will be invited back. <laughs> I was given 40 minutes by Pastor Isaac for my sermon. And for all three services, I have kept to 40 minutes. <laughs> so you shall see me again. As you walk out God's answers here for this community, may God bless you richly with wisdom, favor, protection, and great kingdom fruit. Praise God. Thank you.